All right, I'm gonna we're gonna finish up a series that that we've started um, since the conference that we had back in October, I guess it was. We've been talking a lot about worship, about God's presence, and let's pray and let's get on with it. Lord, we do thank you for what you've done, what you're doing this morning. We thank you that we are being reminded, Father, of who we are. Lord, it's not just about what you want us to do, but being reminded of who we are. And then we have the desire to do the things that you've put inside of us. Father, we thank you for your invitation of being able to come into your presence. So Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts today. And we, we, we allow you to prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us. And we will be intentional in listening with our spirit what you're wanting to say, what the spirit of the Lord is saying. And we just thank you for this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about his presence. It's a game changer. That's the name of this message, his presence. It's a game changer. You know, I thought of this, of this I don't know if, if I've heard this somewhere. You know how you get thoughts, you don't know where they came from, if it was you heard someone quote this or whatever. But here's a, a quote that came from somewhere. If, you're, if you worship the Father without any change in you, then you haven't experienced true worship. If you worship the Father and there's no change happening in you, then you haven't experienced true worship. Because I believe when we worship him, when we have that exchange, that, that wonderful exchange, there's going to be a change in us. God's not changing. He's not the one that's needing to change. But we're the ones that get the change. And worship is not as much about singing songs as it is about experiencing his presence. You know, the last few weeks we've talked about expressions of worship. We talked about the seven words of praise, the Hebrew words, and, you know, whether it's dancing, whether it's shouting, whether it's, it's singing, playing instruments, raising our hands, bowing down before him. All those expressions, the Bible, the Word of God invites us to express towards Him when we're worshiping. But it's not as much about that as it is about coming into His presence. And the Bible teaches us that a way, a significant way to come into His presence is through the vehicle of worship. It says to enter His gates with thanksgiving, enter His courts with praise. And I believe the importance of that, a reason why that is important to do that, why do we sing songs? I believe it helps us to get our focus on Him. You know, because we've been raised in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, because we've been seated with Him, and we are seated with Him, the Bible says, since that is true, then set your mind on things above. Where Christ is seated, where you are seated. Set your mind on things above. And so as we worship Him, we're setting intentionally, deliberately, our mind on things above. Remember, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. They're in heavenly places, and guess who's seated in heavenly places? We are. So we have access to those things. But if we don't set our mind and our affection on those things, then we're going to be consumed with the things that we're experiencing here. And then we're not going to remember and realize and make access to what's been made available. Does that make sense? And so I want to talk about, <clears throat> continue this thing on worship. It's about His presence. Let me ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Who do you see as the most famous worshiper in the Bible? When you think of worship in the Bible, who comes to your mind? 
David. There's probably some other ones too, but David's probably the most prominent one that we think of when it comes to worship. Who was also in the Bible the most fierce warrior who took down a giant when he was just a teenager? Oh, same guy, huh? And who was also called by our Heavenly Father a man after his own heart? Same guy. And who also experienced a lot of hardships, a lot of trials, a lot of tragic situations, made horrible choices? Anybody know who that was? David, same guy. Same guy. And what I appreciate about that last part, he had some serious challenges that he went through. I mean, serious challenges. You know, when we read the Psalms, we can, we can hear his anguish as he's expressing his heart to the Father, right? We've read those where he's, he's crying, crying and he's, he's upset, and we're going to go through one of those in a moment, but he's really upset and everything. I've been doing some research this week, and, and ever since I heard a man say something a, a few months ago, and I'm not going to get into that today because I haven't done enough yet to be able to explain everything, but the more I've learned about the life of David, the more I appreciate him. The more I appreciate the reality of his circumstance and his situation. You know, when you think of things like, you remember the time when, when Samuel, when the father, father God told Samuel, he says, I want you to go to uh, Jesse's house and I'm going to anoint a new king because Saul was not pleasing the Lord in that role and so God was going to set up a new king. So he said, I want you to go to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons to be the king. So Jesse is told by the man of God, think of the most important Christian figure in your life on this planet. And he says, I'm coming to your house and I want to I meet with your family. And, you know, someone you, you, you really reverence, someone that you really have the most highest esteem for. That's who Saul, uh, excuse me, that's who uh, Samuel was. He was the, the highest revered Christian man, or well, I don't know if he wasn't Christian back then, but a godly man on the planet. And he told Jesse, I'm coming to your house. I want to meet with you and your sons. And so Jesse, they, they go through this, this ritual to, to purify themselves. And then Samuel comes to the house and he's going to anoint one of these young men. And so Samuel, excuse me, Jesse had all his sons there. And so they pass before this guy, the prophet, and he sees the first son who's tall of stature, big, strong man. And he's thinking, Definitely, that's the guy. And the father says, that's not the guy. I know you're looking on the outward exterior, but I look on the heart. That's not him. So then the second son came by, and he was pretty big and everything, and he's thinking, surely it's got to be him. The father said, no, it's not him. All of those sons passed before Jesse, I mean, excuse me, before Samuel, and he was confused because it's like, wait a minute, none of these guys are, the, the father's not saying that's the one. So then he says to Jesse, do you have any more kids? Do you have any more sons? It's like, well, yeah, I've got one more. Now think about this. Why was David left out of that equation? You have the most important person in your life, the, the person you revere the most, coming to your house. He wants to meet with you and your kids. And, you have, uh, and he's specific about his sons. And you bring in all of your sons except one. And you leave him out there with the sheep. Why was that? 
you know, there's some things that I'm, that I'm learning. There's some Jewish tradition and history and all this kind of stuff, and I'm still researching into it because I want to share stuff, share bad information, so I'm looking into it more. But it indicates that David and his brothers, not only did they not get along, but there was some deep-seated hostility between his brothers towards him. David was rejected by his family. We can see hints of it in the Psalms. But the point that impresses me about all this is, see, a lot of times when we look at biblical figures and characters, we remove the human element. In other words, when we, when we think of David, or maybe, maybe I'm the only one, when I read the Psalms and I see David and he's crying and he's, he's groaning and he's upset and everything, and, but he's, he's singing a song because, you know, in the Psalms, are, they're recorded as songs that they sang. It's like I see him in a studio singing this beautiful song, recording on an album. Instead of seeing the anguish that he was going through when he was voicing these words. Matter of fact, let's look, if you can go ahead and put up um, Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is one of the songs, Psalms, starting with verse 1. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And then the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers entrusted you. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So David is crying out in anguish. So he's, here's how I see it. He's in God's presence, and he's crying out in anguish. He's going through something horrific, and he's just crying out in pain. And as, in, as he's in God's presence, all of a sudden he remembers, but you know, God, you are holy. You are faithful. The fathers cried out to you, and you answered them. So it's like there's a struggle going on of his current circumstances and reality And all of a sudden, the reality of his father. He says, they trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. Pause right there. Now, I know this psalm is also something that, that represented what Jesus went through. So it was also a prophetic thing. And, and I believe some, a lot of times some of the psalms have dual meaning. This is something that David was going through, and this is how he felt. But it was also, in the future, something that Jesus went through as well. Okay? But I'm not looking at the Jesus part right now. We're talking about the, the actual experience that David was going through when he began to cry out, these words. 
My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue clings to me, excuse me, clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count on my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And that actually happened with Jesus. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Stop right there. So we see all that David is, is, is this anguish. And, and obviously, I'm not even doing justice to how he really sounded probably when he was crying out to God. There were probably tears. There might have been words that have been edited in our versions, you know, to make the movie more PG instead of rated R. You know, I, I'm pretty sure, I can't say this with absolute certainty because I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that when David was crying out to God, he was real and raw. And he probably used language that was not allowed in the sanctuaries or in the, in the, the wherever, in the religious places. And I don't believe that God was offended by it. I believe that when David was crying out to the Lord in his presence, it's something God can handle. And I believe that's where the Lord wants us to bring it to. He wants, he's inviting us into his presence to be real, to be raw, to whatever we need to do to get it out because he wants to have an exchange with us. He wants that poison and that pain that is eating us up. He's saying, let me have that. And it's in his presence. When we come into his presence, we are invited to get this stuff out. And sometimes it's through crying out and yelling and screaming and maybe even cussing. Now, don't tell people I gave you permission to cuss. But check out this. Something very fascinating. If I can find it. Verse 20. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Right there it stops, right? Exclamation mark. Now, this is in the New King James Version. New King James Version. And then check what happens right after that. He says, you have answered me. You have answered me. So we see how he was talking. Then he says, you have answered me. And then look, everything changes. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him but when he cried out to him he heard my praise shall be of you in the great assembly i will pay my vows before those who fear him and it goes on and on and on but what i found interesting was david was crying out in anguish releasing his heart to god then all of a sudden he said you have answered me and then everything changed and he began to praise and worship and from that point on to the end of the psalms he doesn't go back into the anguish he doesn't go back into the crying out. He finishes with praise. And here's the amazing thing. I believe he went into God's presence, bared his heart, 
and he experienced God's presence. This is why I said at the beginning, if you participate in worship and haven't experienced a change, then you haven't really experienced worship. David received something. It's like God took that pain, whatever it was. It doesn't mean his circumstances were necessarily changed at that moment. But David's perspective was changed. Whatever that was in his heart, it's like God answered. He said, you have answered me. I will, I'm going to praise you. And something changed. And I believe, that's, I believe David experienced that time and time and time and time again. How else can it be? Remember when we talked about this last week, 1 Samuel 30, when David and his mighty men come home and he finds that his, the houses are burned down and, his, and his, their wives and children have been kidnapped by the Amalekites, the bad guys. And when they discovered that their kids were gone, their families were gone, they cried. These were mighty powerful men. I mean, one of them could whip all of us. I mean, these were powerful men, and they were so distraught and hurting because their family was gone, kidnapped. And they didn't know what these Malachites had done or were doing to their families. So they, their, their imagination was probably going crazy. It said they cried until there was no more strength left in them to cry. And then it says David was even more distressed because his mighty men talked about stoning him. Because they were upset and distressed because of what was going on with them, but they had to blame somebody. This is David's fault. If we were here where we are supposed to be and not out there fighting your battles, our families would still be here. And then what does it say David did? It says, David, it says but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now remember, David was distraught just like these guys were. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. We know the Bible says that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, right? In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And there's a verse that says, the joy of the Lord is my in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, and the joy of the Lord is my. David strengthened himself. How did he do that? He got the joy of the Lord. Where from? Where? God's presence. Through worship. And we know because of his character and what we know of David, he was the most powerful, or not most powerful necessarily, but the most avid worshiper, Right? He was in the habit of, now, now look, this scene of when, you know, the mighty men and David and his family, this is when he's a man. Remember, he was a shepherd when he was a boy. Out there, tending God's sheep, I mean, tending his father's sheep. And what do you think he developed the habit of doing? Worshiping. And what happened out there? A lion, lions and bears came and tried to take the sheep. And David said, not on my watch. And even killed, you know, one with his bare hands. Teenager, 13, 14 years old, going after lions and bears over some raggedy little sheep. He's like, oh, you got, the, go ahead, you gone, I'm gone that way, you can go that way. And so he learned he experienced God's power, God's deliverance, delivering that little sheep from that, that animal that was about to kill him. And what did David learn? The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And you know, there's an interesting verse in there. Kind of tease you a little bit. And it says, you have anointed my head in the presence of my enemies. I'm not saying it right, but you know that part where it says, in my, you know, presence of my enemies, you have anointed my head. But that word enemies also means tormentors. When was David anointed? Remember Samuel came and anointed him? Who was that in the presence of? His tormentors. David didn't have an easy life. But he learned something at an easy age. I mean, at an early age, he learned something about getting in God's presence and this exchange happening. And then him going after the lion, the bear. Remember when his father said, son, take, these, take this cheese, take this food to your older brothers. He goes up there. He's taking food to his brothers. And all of a sudden, he hears this, this fool calling out and making fun of and blaspheming David's God. And his brothers, who are pretty big and powerful, especially compared to David, were doing what all the mighty men of Israel were doing. They were shaking in their boots. They were afraid. Because this nine-and-a-half-foot giant, this champion was calling them out, saying, send out a champion, fight me. And these big men, now think of this, where do you think David got his mighty men from? Saul's army, right? I mean, would you agree with that? So David's mighty men were part of the crowd that was standing there shaking, hiding from Goliath. And then David, on, you know, on his dad's errand, taking his brother some food, hears this going on, and David's like, what the heck is going on? It's like he couldn't get at this dude fast enough. Let me take him out. And he was surprised, I believe, that his brothers and all the army weren't doing anything about it. Because, see, David had a relationship with the God that this, this giant was, was uh, blaspheming. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how it works. Because of what David had been doing in the secret place, in the quiet place, in the backfield of, of watching those sheep, and all these times of exchange, all that, the loneliness that he was experiencing because he was experiencing rejection by his family, and all the different things that he was going through, but somehow that never poisoned his soul, that never got him bitter and resentful because he knew how to go into God's presence and have that exchange. And then when it came to real-life circumstances like the giant, David was fearless because he knew the track record of his God who delivered him from the lion and bear. He's like, this is no different from the lion and bear. And so he went, and we all know the story. Took him down, took his head off. He became the champion. Then they wiped out all the bad guys. So then these mighty men decided, hey, that's my king right there. I'm going to start following this dude. See, one thing I appreciate about the gospel, about the Bible, about just the cross, it's not like we become Christians and then we pretend like everything's okay. 
See, I know we, we're, we get good at doing that in front of people at church. We all look pretty and handsome and all that kind of stuff, which you guys do, by the way. But and we act like everything's good or we, we know things aren't all good. But we project on people that everything's all good. And then we hear people talking about going to the world and where people are hurting and people are dying and people are committing suicide and people are, are just a mess. And we're supposed to go and be a light. And some of us are thinking, I wish I would experience that light. Because we may just be going through the motions. And I appreciate the invitation by the father inviting his kids into his presence and say, come on, sons, come on, daughter. Come sit up on my lap. Let's talk. What's on your heart? And we don't have to talk Christianese. We don't have to talk politely. We can let it out. The father can handle it. People may not be able to. You break down in front of some people, they're like, whoa, whoa, I think uh, there's a ball game on TV I got to go watch. You know, we may not be able to handle it. Now, obviously, we do, we can. There are, we have wonderful gifts in the body, whether counselors or, or whoever, ministers, people who, who are gifted to minister to all kinds of deep pain and, and things like that. And I'm not saying we do this instead of that. We get in God's presence, let him take care of it all instead of, counting on each other to minister to each other. I'm not saying that. Please do not hear that. We get both. That's right. I remember many years ago, because, because David is one of my heroes, besides Jesus, David. David's awesome. But the, the example that I've learned from, from reading the Psalms and watching his life and, and all this, like, man, this dude was awesome. He was real. Now, he made some horrific choices. I mean, having, having, a, having one of his mighty men killed so he can take the man's wife. That's horrible. So it wasn't like the man was perfect. He did repent, but he sure had some serious consequences to pay. You know, for people who think, side note, people who think that they can sin and then repent and everything's okay, just look at David's life. He sinned pretty bad. He repented. God forgave him. That did not take away the consequences. If you go out and murder somebody, if I go out and murder somebody, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And I repent and everything. God will forgive me. That doesn't mean I don't go to jail. So a lot of times people can get the, the idea that, hey, I can sin, do what I want, and then ask God to forgive me, and everything's good. I don't think you're fooling the Father. Was that? Yeah, just yourself. But getting back, getting back on track, what I appreciate about David's example, yeah, that too. <laughs> Years ago, everybody else might want to go ahead and just switch your phones on silent. <laughs> just saying. We're just being real, right? Make sure mine, yeah, we're good. Years ago, now downstairs uh, in the 
those of you who are familiar with the lounge area down there where the couches are and everything, that is one of the coveted areas of, of quiet time around here. I remember <laughs> Pastor Dale used to always be there first. And sometimes we would, well, he probably wasn't. He didn't know I was, but I was trying to hurry up and get to the church before he did so I can get down there first. But unless you wanted to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, forget it. But there'd be times when, when we'd come be at the church at the same time, and then I'd go downstairs, and it's like, rats, Dale beat me. You know, he'd, he'd get there first, and so we'd take turns, or I'd go find another place. But I loved that place down there because it was out of the way. It was quiet all by yourself. You weren't bothering anybody, and you weren't typically bothered. I was down there, and I don't remember what I was going through. I was thinking about this the other day. I have no recollection of what I was going through, but I was going through something very, very tremendously difficult. And my soul was heavy and full, and I remember oh, just, just full of hurt and pain and grief and whatever. And I wanted to get it out, but I didn't know I could. And I felt like the father said, son, let it go. And so I just began. Now, Lisa, we've been married for 27 years. She, that wasn't the point I was trying to make. The point I was trying to make is she could probably count on two or three fingers how many times she's seen me cry in 27, 28, 29 years, us knowing each other. So I'm not, a, I'm not an emotional person. But I remember I was going through something. I felt like the father said, son, let it go. And so, of course, I made sure nobody was around, and I just began to let it go. I was yelling. I was crying. I was screaming. At that particular point, I don't think I was cussing. Now, there were times when I was, but that wasn't one of them. But I was just letting it all out, and I was hurting and grieving, and it just, and I don't know how long it lasted, hour or so. And that exchange happened. Like David did, he said, you've answered me. And everything changed. It changed. I was grieving, hurting, angry, upset. In his presence, something changed. I don't remember the circumstances, because a lot of times the circumstances don't necessarily change right away. But it's our outlook, our perspective, our being reminded of who he is and who we are in him. And he's for us. And, and so something happened in exchange, and I was good. And it was a lady that used to work here. Before Ellen was our office manager, we had some volunteer ladies. And, and one of the ladies, she also was in that mix of she'd take turns. You know, when it's available, she'd go downstairs too. Well, after I was downstairs, and then I came up to the office, and then she went downstairs. For a while. And then later on, she came up and she said, are you wearing cologne? Like, no. And she didn't say deodorant. And I said, no, I'm not. She goes, are you sure? And she didn't believe me. So she came in, no, you're not. I said, why? And she said, you were downstairs before me, right? Yeah, I was downstairs. She said, when I walked into that room, I smelled this amazing fragrance. And she said it was overwhelming. It was just filling the whole room, this fragrance. And she said, well, I know CJ was here. He must, have been, he must be wearing this cologne. But I wasn't wearing any cologne. I wasn't wearing any cologne. And I came across this verse. Well, I, I've read this verse before, actually. It's not like I just discovered it. But in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphant procession. Now, he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. 
But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. And I'm kind of taking this out of context a little bit, but this, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. When, I, when, I, when that lady told me, because see, I knew what I had just experienced with the father down in that room. Nobody else did. And when she came and told me that there was this, this sweet aroma that filled the room, I realized that what, that, that what just happened between me and God was acceptable to him. And something about that just changed me forever. Let me finish one more point and don't lose your train of thought, okay? And here's the point I'm wanting to make with all of us here. We get to be real. This thing about his deliverance, this, his presence, his, his forgiveness, his freeing ability, all that, it's real. We don't have to pretend like everything's good if it's not. We can go to the Father and go to our friends, our brothers and sisters who, who can help us get free. And we get to experience real freedom. Yeah, the Lord just wants me just to reiterate a couple points that CJ made. <clears throat> but people want to encounter a real God because we know God is real. You know, we, we want to encounter a real God. But a lot of times we want it on our terms. The truth is we have to let go of the things that get right in the middle of the way of us encountering him. When David was expressing his feelings and all that garbage that they were talking, you were reading about, he wasn't just airing his dirty laundry. So God would feel sorry for him and say, oh, yes, you're so right. You have it bad. You're hopeless. I never read that in the Word anywhere when you're reading that passage. Yeah, poor you. Stinks to be you. Yeah, you're right. Look at how many enemies you have. He never said that. I believe he was airing it to get rid of it. He was surrendering it. And he was exchanging his garbage and his attitude for God's perspective. And I believe so many times that's what we do. We come in the presence of, let me tell you. You think you got it bad? Let me tell you. And we love other people. We love to worship our problems. We love to let everybody know how bad. And it's not that your circumstances aren't bad. Hello? We all live life. It is bad. But what are you willing to exchange it for? He was surrendering it. It wasn't about how David felt. It was about the exchange. It's my reality for his perspective. And that's what worship brings us into. Is when things are horrible and things are bad, and you think, oh my goodness, Lord, things could not get any, any worse than this. It's when we're just, it's that raw, you're just so raw, like David was raw. And it's such a real place. But the question is, are you willing to exchange it? Are you willing to surrender it? Because you're not going to experience his reality until it's all laid down. Until you're ready, we're gonna. I'm gonna, God. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let you know how what I'm going through, all of my pain. But you know what? 
I'm going to do it because I want your reality and your perspective and not just my attitude. It's a place of healing. But to get to that place of healing, we've got to surrender it first. It's the most beautiful worship, the most beautiful praise. Then we can do as David, but God, you answered me, God, but God, but God, I see your goodness, but we're never going to see that until we're ready to surrender. Let's all stand together. Here's, I hope you're hearing the invitation of your father. I hope you're hearing that better than I'm expressing it. And, and hear this too. It's not like he's saying, hurry up and get in my presence so I can hurry up and fix you. That's not what the father's saying. He's saying, you know, as you spend time with me and you realize just how much more I love you, then we're going to want to give him these things that's holding us back. And that's why spending time in his presence is so important. That's why worship, the lifestyle of worship, has to become non-optional. Because maybe I'm spending time worshiping him, but it takes me 50 sessions of worship before I'm willing to lay this down. But guess what? I get to that point where I'm willing to lay it down. It may take me 50, it may take me 100, it may take me two. But the more I get with him, the more I hear from him, the more I experience him, the more it's like, God, I want what you want. I want you. I want to honor you. I want to be free from this. I don't want to carry it anymore. And we get to that place where we finally let it go. And that's what he wants. And then, as Lori was sharing earlier, how we were called to be agents of change, then it's like, let me when I get set free, when I get healed of something painful and, and deep or whatever, then you can't wait to share your testimony with someone who's going through something, some, something similar because it's like, let me tell you about my daddy. Let me tell you about how good he is. And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about get fixed so you can be a good Christian. We're talking about the pain that you got. Take it to somebody who really wants to do something about it. And he's patient and he's loving, and he's gentle, and he's kind. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are good. You are patient, gentle, kind, loving, powerful. You are more than able to do something about our situation, and you desire to. Father, we hear your invitation and we say yes. We're realizing that that coming into your presence is non-optional and it's something I want. And Father, I accept the grace, I embrace the grace to run into your presence on a daily and a regular basis. Because you're wanting us all to be, be like David who's not afraid to face the giants out there because we've dealt with the giants in here. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your goodness.